You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Before we get to the Oilers talk, I want to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. As always, it's playoff time, big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part, it's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you've got to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up and get your free shot at $20,000 in total cash prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time. Only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter as well, at Connor Halley. Let's talk about those Edmonton Oilers. And Wednesday night, not exactly the performance they would have liked to have. They fall 4-1 to the Winnipeg Jets in Game 1 of their Best of 7 series. Now, for the Edmonton Oilers, I don't think it was all bad. That 4-1 score doesn't look great, but if you be realistic, it was a 2-1 game. The Jets add a couple empty netters at the end, make things look a whole lot worse. But for the Oilers, like I said, you know, you still lost that game. You still got a rebound. There's some things you can work on. And one thing for me, they got to find a way to ratchet up the intensity. It was a playoff game with 110 hits between the two teams, according to the statistician. But I didn't feel it. Like, after 20 minutes, I saw some back and forth between, you know, McDavid and Neil Pionk, and both sides got involved right before the teams left the ice for the intermission. In my mind, I thought, okay, it's going to really get going here in the second period, but it never really happened. It never really got into that playoff atmosphere that I thought it would, that we've seen around the NHL. The Panthers-Lightning series been outstanding. We're seeing it in the other series in the North Division between Montreal and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Obviously, we hope Jonathan Tavares is doing okay, but they're ratcheting up the energy. And that first game with the Oilers and Jets, I didn't really see it. Problem number two, I think they got to make things tougher on the reigning Vesna Trophy winner, Connor Hellebuck. He's too good of a goalie. He's too fundamentally solid to just make it easy on him. you got to make him go side to side. Kevin Woodley from Ingoal Magazine has told us that, and the Oilers just weren't able to do so. And Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they got to find a way to generate offense. It's it's not like I'm going to be critical of them here. They're two of the best players in the world. They're clearly the two best players on this Oilers roster, but we know this team goes as far as those two can take them. Defensively, the team was good. Mike Smith only giving up two goals. That's fine. It's a 3-2 league in the NHL, and the Oilers need to find ways to generate more points, whether it comes from McDavid and Dreisaitl or if it comes from the bottom six. That's okay. They just got to find a way to do it. And I looked up the numbers here when McDavid and Dreisaitl go pointless in a game, and they tend to rebound very strong. Connor McDavid, 11 times this year, went pointless. 
in the game following those games, he scored 24 points. For Leon Dreisaitl, 13 times it happened. Following the next game, he would put up 16 points. And you got to factor in, there was a stretch of three games where those guys only combined for one point. That was against the Toronto Maple Leafs and a definite low spot of the season. But they've shown time and time again that in the second half of games, after they struggle, they tend to bounce back. So I think you got to look at that for the Edmonton Oilers and think maybe there's an opportunity for them to bounce back in those games. Uh, the games where they don't put up points... It happened nine times this season. The record was two and seven, four times they were shut out. The two wins that they did get came against the Sens and the Flames. So they weren't exactly beating world beaters. It's clear to me. The Oilers need those two guys to contribute offensively. If they can do that, I think they'll find a way to get right back into this series on Friday night. Uh, for the Oilers, though, nothing should change at the lineup. I think People might want some things to be moved around, maybe just a little bit. But I think Dave Tippett probably looks at this and says, hey, is a 2-1 game. We didn't bury opportunities, really didn't generate any grade-A opportunities. We do that, we should be fine. The Winnipeg Jets obviously playing without Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers. No word yet if they will play on Friday night. Of course, we are taping this Thursday, so it's hard to say exactly, but I can tell you that Nikolai Ehlers did practice on Thursday without the non-contact jersey. Pierre-Luc Dubois still wearing the non-contact jersey, so looks like Ehlers might be a little bit closer in his return to the lineup, but for the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, you can't really worry about that. You go out there, you play your A game, and you're a better team than the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, that's that's kind of plain and simple. We saw it in the regular season. You saw it in the standings. You go out there, you worry about your game, and the good things should happen. But we will talk to somebody who knows the Winnipeg Jets team very well. In fact, he covers them for a living. Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun will join us later on here on the Other Connor Podcast. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Scott Billick. But let's start off things a little local. A guy you know very well. You know him, you love him. He's one half of the lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 10 till noon. You can also get him at Oilers Nation. He does a ton of work on their podcast. Tyler Uremchuk joins me now. And also give him a follow on Twitter, at Tyler Uremchuk. Tyler, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm good, Connor. I'm good. How are you? I am uh, doing very good. Thank you. And uh, as we record this uh, 6.30 on Thursday night, the Oilers, of course, down one nothing to the Winnipeg Jets. A 4-1 game, maybe closer to a 2-1 game when you think about the empty netters but Tyler you were down at Rogers place for this game uh, what were your takeaways from that one I honestly kind of a boring game if we're talking about playoffs like you go watch all these other series and I get the down south they got some fans in the building so that helps with the energy but I was kind of hoping there would be a little bit more of a pulse to that one and I really didn't think we got that we got the scrum at the end of the first period where McDavid kind of singled out Pionk and went after him a little bit. And then it felt like both teams kind of cooled off in the intermission and never really got too fired up again. So it was disappointing from that perspective. And, like, the Oilers, you know, the Jet, I mean, give the Jets credit. They kept McDavid and Dreisaitl in check. The Oilers also did a pretty good job of keeping the Jets big players like Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele in check. So what we got was just sort of a boring defensive showdown between the two teams with not as much emotion as I wanted. So disappointing in a lot of ways. And, I mean, after that, like you said, the scrum after the first period, I thought that might get things going just a little bit. But, you know, the two sides obviously didn't want that to continue. And, I mean, you saw the NHL.com stats for sure, like 68 uh, hits for the Jets, 50 for the Oilers. If you were counting, you were there, what would you have it closer to? 
Um, you know, I think counting hits is difficult. <laughs> I think uh, I think there's a lot that maybe we don't notice, and it is a little subjective. Like if a guy gets rubbed out while he's dumping after he dumps in a puck, like okay, is that a hit? Like it, it really depends what you classify as a hit. So I really didn't pay too much attention to that, and I'm not going to rip, you know, the guy sitting up there counting hits or anything like that. Like, I just, I don't know. I think it's super subjective. I think what qualifies as a hit varies. Like, some people will say, no, you need to blow the guy up. He needs to be on his ass if it's for it to count as a hit. And I'm like, you know, there was a play, like, Archibald ran over DeMello in the corner, and then right after that, Chase on, and it was, I think it was Chase on and Kara, both had a hit, like, right after. So a lot of people might have looked at them and like, oh, there's one big hit. I was like, well, no, there's actually three in like two seconds. But again, if you don't catch them, you're going to go, wow, well, it wasn't an overly physical game. I don't think I've heard like people talk about uh, hometown stat keeping since my days working with Corey Graham and Gee Flaming at the Oil Kings games. How, <laughs> you know, you, you would see the Oil Kings would always out hit the other team big time. And then you go down to Medicine Hat and the Tigers would out hit you. And, you know, there was no real consistency. But that seemed to become a topic today. But uh, I don't know. I, in a game where you hear 68 hits for one side, 50 for the other, I would have liked to seen a little more intensity. Obviously, we didn't get there. The Oilers lose. Um, any concerns for the Edmonton Oilers with you, Tyler? I mean, McDavid and Drysdale, I think, eight times this season. Sorry, nine times this season. They've had a game where they both don't score a point in those games. They were shut out four times, record of two and seven. But any concern for you that this might linger into game two? Uh, no, not really. I was, you know, doing some prep here for all my podcasts and radio and whatnot for tomorrow. And by my count, it's been 66 days since the Edmonton Oilers lost back-to-back games. They were remarkably consistent in the last half of the season. They were very good at not letting their losses snowball into losing streaks. And I think, you know, part of that is having McDavid and Drysaddle, and they're hard enough to keep in check for one game, but doing it two times in a row, three times in a row, four times in a row, that's just not likely going to happen. And that's why I think the Oilers or Oilers fans shouldn't be panicking at all. Like, the Jets shut down McDavid and Drysaddle once. Sound the alarm bell when they do it two or three times, and you know what? I'm not exactly going to bet on them to do it two or three times. I just think McDavid still had some looks. He missed the net a couple times. The one or two critiques I had of them as a whole offensively in terms of the team was, one, they weren't doing a good enough job getting Connor Hellebuck moving. I think Kevin Woodley said it on the Gregor show at the beginning of the week, but if you come at Hellebuck in straight lines, he's going to look good. If you get Hellebuck moving east-west, he's going to look subpar at times and the Oilers didn't do a good enough job of getting bodies in front and getting the puck moving across the slot and setting up one-timers and the other thing too was I thought at times they they were looking a little uh, they're trying to be a little too cute like there were a couple looks where McDavid and Drysdale could have just ripped the puck from the high slot which is a good place to be shooting a puck from on any goalie but instead they're trying to flutter a pass to the outside or do something like that and if you're on the outside yeah try to throw a puck into the slot don't be throwing pucks on that from bad angles all the time but when you're in the slot don't be passing the puck out of the slot get the shot on net especially when you're struggling to get going offensively so those are kind of my two complaints about the Oilers game in the Ozone in game one Uh, today Ryan Rashad tweeting out uh, I'll read it as he tweeted it the drill they're running isn't a traditional line rush here but McDavid drives out Cahoon are taking multiple reps together Yamo RNH Pugliarvi the other line Uh, going into this game number two against the Jets uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois we're not sure if he'll play Ehlers as well would this be a game where you might put McDavid and Drysaddle back together, or do you continue on with them on separate lines? 
to me that's that's going to the to the break glass in case of emergency a little bit too quickly. I think I would prefer to see them stay separate. I liked what Poole Yarvey brought. I thought he was probably their most effective forward in game one. He was shooting the puck. He got a goal. He was a little engaged physically. I think him and McDavid are fine on that top line. And I want to try establish two dominant scoring lines. And for me, you do that with McDavid and Drysaddle separate. So I would keep them apart for the start. If you're down one nothing, or if you're not getting the offense going after the first period tomorrow, then yeah, I'd mix things up. But I, I keep them separate for now. I uh, threw it out there on Twitter after the game just because I like to have a little fun with Oilers fans and create a little mayhem. You know, What would you do if you were Dave Tippett? Would you make any changes to the lineup? Uh, before I, I give you some of the responses, is there anything you would change up? No, like I'm not moving out a key piece of this team's lineup. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Again, you you're down one nothing in a series, and I've brought this up now a couple times. Let's go back to 2006, and uh, let's go back to 2006. That first series against Detroit, they lost game one, won the series. The next round against San Jose, they lost game one, they won the series. Let's go to 2017, round one against San Jose, they lost game one. You guessed it, they won the series. You can come back. There's no reason to panic right now if you're Dave Tippett. There's no need to throw your lines into a blender and be mixing things up. You were the better team in game one. You just didn't get the bounce. So I see no reason to panic and start changing up the lines or who's in the lineup and who's out. Specifically, like the two real choices he had to make before game one were Zach Cassian and Slater Cuckoo. Yeah, I wouldn't pull out Zach Cassian. It was his first game back from injury. I give him the benefit of that out there. I give him one more look. And Slater Cuckoo played really good, so I'm not pulling him out either. So, no, I don't want to see Dave Tibbet make any changes. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it there with Zach Cassian. Like, I had a bunch of people reply, Cassian out, shore in. And I thought, oh, well, no. why would you put this guy in the game for one game and just expect it to be perfect? Like, he's coming off a leg injury. There's going to be a little bit of rust there. The leash has to be a little bit longer for Cassian, doesn't it? It does. Like, again, I, I'm not the guy who traditionally makes excuses for Zach Cassian. I'm always the one who's quick to bring up the fact that he plays his best hockey in contract years, and the year after you sign him to a deal, he usually takes a big step back. I don't think that's a coincidence it happened so much. He needs to be more engaged and more physical and that vintage 2017 Cassian on a much more consistent basis. But I'm not going to jump down the guy's throat after one game. Like, if I, if I were the coaching staff, I would go make a montage of every shift Josh Archibald had in that last game, and I would show it to Zach Cassian, and I would say, if you don't do this in game two, then, then we're going to talk about you coming out of the lineup. But I'm not, I'm not taking him out after one bad game. That's crazy talk. Why do you think it is so tough for him to, to do that? Like, obviously, in the 2017 playoffs, he was great. Uh, playing against Chicago last year, kind of invisible. Like, do you think it is as simple as contract years where he needs that motivation? Because everyone seems to make the example that he needs fans, but every other playoff series we're seeing doesn't need fans. Well, I shouldn't say every other because they do have fans. But, it, like, I mean, Montreal, Toronto on Thursday night, they didn't need fans. Well, and... Josh Archibald doesn't need fans to get going. Darnell Nurse doesn't need fans to get going. So, like, why is that Cassian? Why does he get that excuse? I've never understood that. And I I don't know. Maybe I'm just pulling this out of my you-know-what, but I think the contract year thing is something. Because let's go back to his Oilers career. He comes here at a point when no one in the NHL wanted him, really. They grab him for basically nothing. He comes in. He plays great in that playoff run. He gets his deal, and then it was like November of the next year. I remember watching Hockey Night in Canada, and Elliot Friedman says, the Oilers have given Zach Cassian permission to seek a trade. He was getting healthy, scratched. 
He wanted out. Organization said, if you find someone to take you, see ya. And then he gets into a contract year after that, starts playing great again. And they sign him to a contract and he disappears. So, like, it's a bit of a concerning cycle. And honestly, it's on Zach Cassian to prove me wrong now and prove everyone who's doubting him wrong. Like, you have the ability to play physical. That is, when a goal scorer, like, like look at, let's look at Kyler Yamamoto. He's not scoring right now. But that's not for a lack of effort. He's playing physical. He's getting turnovers. He's getting chances. Sometimes a goal scorer goes quiet. When you're Zach Cassian and what you bring to the table is just pure effort-based things like laying big hits, creating turnovers, and being a pain in the ass for the other team, that's effort-based. There's no catching breaks or anything like that. You need to put in the work, and he hasn't been for a while now. He's got to turn it around in these playoffs. If you're Dave Tippett going into game number two Friday night, 7 o'clock, uh, pregame coverage, TSN 1260, Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself, what is your message to this team? Uh, I, I think for the most part, you can say stick with it. They outshot the Jets 32-20 to 20 at 5-on-5. Five five. They dominated the possession battle. They were the better team. The puck was on their stick more than it was on the Jets' stick. That's a good thing for me. I would just say bear down a little bit with your offensive chances and try to be more dangerous in the ozone. Like I said, get Hellebuck moving. If you have a look in the slot, take it. Don't get cute. There's a lot of things they can do better in the ozone. But for the most part, they limited the Jets' chances, and they had the puck in the other team's end for the majority of the game. So there's not too much I think they need to correct. They probably just need, if I'm being honest, I'm not trying to be a homer, they need a little bit of luck, they need to be sharper in the offensive zone, and that's it. Any concern that a Connor Hellebuck could steal a few more games here? Like, I know you, you brought up a good point, and you mentioned uh, what Kevin Woodley said. You know, you can't go straight yeah. on. you got to try to work side to side. That's the best way to beat Hellebuck. But uh, any concern that potentially this guy can elevate his game, play the Vesna level, and steal a few more games for the Jets and, you know, take away the top two players on the Oilers roster? Well, yeah, there's concern. I mean, the guy's won a Vesna. He's won playoff series before. He's good. And everyone, you know, there are not everyone. There was a lot of people going, oh, Hellebuck stole game one. I don't see it that way. I don't think Hellebuck stole game one at all. How many big 10-bell saves did he make? He stopped McLeod in tight in the second period. I don't think that was necessarily a 10-bell save. He stopped Nugent Hopkins in the second period. That one was nice. And he had a couple other ones in the third that I thought were good, like really, really good saves as well. But it wasn't like the Oilers were throwing the kitchen sink at him and he was making these sprawling, diving saves and all this. Like, he played good. The Oilers also kind of allowed him to play good. So am I concerned about it? A little. But at the same time, after watching game one, it's clear the Oilers control their own destiny here. Right? Like, if the Oilers bring their A game, I don't think the Jets win again this series. But it'll be up to the Oilers to bring their A game. Tyler, a lot of people here, just going back to the tweet I had, I'm just kind of scrolling through the the responses here, and some people, you know, saying you're just doing this to kind of create a shit show here on, on Twitter, and that was kind of what I like to do. It's it's fun to do that a little bit and see the reactions of Oilers fans, because, I mean, geez, I mean, as passionate as it can get. Uh, yeah. At any point, do you look at Tyler Ennis as someone you might bring back into the lineup? And I'm not saying, you know, you do it on Friday night, but... Is he a guy you think at some point just being a veteran who's played the amount of playoff games that he has you might take a look at? Yeah, and I, I think that all kind of depends on how dominant Cahoon is performing. Um, I think Ennis's spot on this team, if he were to get thrown into the lineup, is somewhere in the top six. He's a skilled guy. 
you're not taking out Archibald or Chase on or Cassian for him in all likelihood. So I would say if Cahoon doesn't produce or doesn't show you something in one game, I'd have no problem throwing Ennis up in the top six. But again, I've said it a few times, I'm not doing it right now. I'm Give it one more game. If you go down 2 nothing, then sure, let's pull the alarm and let's make some big changes. And Tippett's clearly got to spark the team. But I'm not doing it yet. You're down one nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you 100%. Uh, not time to overreact yet and uh, make big changes. I think you're right. Like They, they were the better team. Just got to capitalize on the opportunities. Uh, realistically, I know people want to say 4-1. I still look at it. It was a 2-1 game. Uh, just got to find another way to beat Hellebuck. And you're right back in there. I mean, defensively, you were solid. Yeah, like defensively, they limited the Jets. They held them to just 20 shots on goal at 5-on-5. Five five. That's pretty good considering who the Jets are, and I know they were missing a few guys in there as well. But, like, just looking right now, do you know how many times throughout the regular season the Oilers held a team to less than 20 shots at 5-on-5? Five five? Six times in a 56-game season for less than 20 shots. So that was one of the Oilers' better defensive performances uh, in, in game one. Like I said, they just need to get better in the offensive zone. And what do we know about this Oilers team throughout 56 games this year? They're pretty darn good in the offensive zone. So like I'm not worried at all. I'll be worried if they go down 2 nothing, sure. But right now, there's there's no reason to panic. Yeah, Tyler, I looked into it. Uh, Connor McDavid, uh, 11 times this year he was held without a point. Uh, in those games after that, he had 24 points. And that includes the three games against the Leafs where he was held scoreless. So, you know, you can do the math there. He does pretty yeah. good in bounce back game for Drysaddle 13 times, responding with 16 points. So something tells me they'll find a way to get back and find that offense in game number two. Uh, Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois potentially coming back. Uh, does that worry you at all for the Oilers? I mean, what those guys can bring to the Jets? That's a tough one. Um, yeah, it worries me a bit because they're getting back two top six players, right? And, I mean, that is one area where I think you can be a little frustrated if you're an Oilers fan is that, hey, you let a game slip when the Jets weren't healthy and they're presumably only getting healthier. So it worries me a little, but at the same time, you know, the Oilers have beaten them with those guys in the lineup this year. So I, I still go back to, to kind of what I said a few minutes ago. If the Oilers bring their A game, it won't matter if the Jets bring their A game, right? Like Edmonton, I firmly believe, controls their own fate in this series. If you play well and bring it, you're going to come out on top. And it's simple as that. Like if I'm the Oilers, I'm not sitting there looking at who's on which line on the Jets, who's healthy, who's in a non-contact sweater, and who's not even on the ice. I'm just sitting there going, we got to take care of our own shit and we'll be fine. Now, what did you have this series going uh, before it started? What was the prediction? I, I had Oilers in five, so they got to get hot in a hurry here for me to look good. But I like the point Ray Ferraro made on Gregor's show, too, where he said, you know, if you predicted the Oilers to win in six, that means they're going to lose two games. Like, there's going to be two games they do not come out on top, and you'll be disappointed. So this is just sort of the ebbs and flows, the roller coaster ride of, of a playoff run. Absolutely, and I mean, I think you had a good point there. Like, you, you go back to the series in the past where they've lost the first game. We did this exact same thing. Like, oh, what happened? Do we make changes? What do we do? Trust the process. Trust the guys in charge. Dave Tippett's shown this whole season, or you know, last two years with the Oilers. He's a pretty good coach. Uh, they've got the pieces, and uh, I think they'll all fall into place. What do you think happens Friday night? Friday night, I think we get two or three points from McDavid. I think the Oilers' power play chips in maybe in there. I think we get a decent performance from Mike Smith, and I'll say Oilers win 4-2. One and a half points, take the over. That's what you're saying? That, that is what I'm saying. <laughs> take the over on one and a half points. 
and I got burned on his shot prop in game one, but I think I'm going right back to it in game two. Again, hungry McDavid coming out of the gates looking to get a goal. I think he'll shoot some pucks tomorrow. Absolutely. I mean, I, I see on social media people are going to question this guy after what he did in the regular season. I think he's going to be fired up. I like that one and a half points. I like the shots. I might even go two and a half points, Tyler. I'm feeling dangerous. You like chasing the juice, though. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's my favorite thing to do. And I, I'll always post when I win. When yeah, I lose, yeah. I'm a little more hush hush. Try to be uh, quiet opposite. about it. I like I like a good bet <laughs> that's in like the minus one ten, one twenty range. I like playing it safe, counting up my little profits as I go. I got into that with uh, European soccer, and we, we could go on all day about our bets and oh, yeah, those things. Did. But uh, we'll do that another time. Tyler, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, and we'll get you on again uh, down the road here. Yeah, yeah, no problem, Connor. Anytime. Excellent stuff from Tyler Yaremchuk of TSN 1260. You can catch him on the Lowdown with Low Tide Monday through Friday from 10 till noon. You can also get his work at Oilers Nation and make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Yaremchuk. And I love what he said there. The Oilers play their A game. The Jets play their A game. The Oilers are the better team. That's what they got to do. They've got to worry about themselves and the rest should fall into place. Big thank you to Tyler Yaramchuk for hopping on the podcast here today. That's the Oilers side of things. Now we're going to go out and get the Winnipeg Jets side of things. As Scott Billick joins us, he, of course, covers the team for the Winnipeg Sun. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Scott Billick. Scott, thanks again for doing this today. How are you doing? Yeah, anytime. Uh, doing very good, you know, all things considered, everything around us. But, uh, you know, the best thing about this time of the year or normally we're a little further on into the playoffs but uh, uh it's good to have playoff hockey back uh, you know kind of across the NHL exactly exactly i mean shorts to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs kind of nice when you have that weather going with it i know a lot of people out in Edmonton setting up their backyard patios for viewing parties so uh, that's definitely been a plus side to this one but for the Edmonton Oilers at least not exactly great on uh, Wednesday night, falling to the Jets four to one. I guess first things uh, first. What was your biggest takeaways from that game? What did you uh, What did you think from uh, from the Jets' performance? Yeah, I, I think that you know the biggest takeaway from the Jets' performance, and thing that they struggled with the most during the regular season against uh, Edmonton, was Connor McDavid. Uh, and and you know that's I, I'm pretty sure every team can say that. You know, when a guy comes out puts up 104 points in 56 games, um, he's going to have a piece of every team. But he had a pretty big chunk, I think a quarter of his points, roughly just close to that, if not a little bit more, um, came against Winnipeg. And he kind of terrorized the, the Jets. And what the Jets were able to do in game one was, you know, what a lot of us in the media in Winnipeg here um, spent a good chunk of time asking Jets head coach Paul Maurice and the players is, you know, how are you going to contain this guy? Um, it, it, it's nearly impossible to do, um, you know, over the course of a game. And, and we even saw, you know, even though he only got, you know, Connor got two shots on goal during the game, um, it, there was one chance at the end of the first period. Oh, my alarm just went off. I apologize for that. Um, there was only, you know, it. it Two shots through the through in the third period itself, and 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 for the first two periods, the Jets were able to contain Connor. Um, he had the one chance at the end of the first period, um, missed on that. Mark Shifley went down the other way. He wasn't able to score. But the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway was was that containment of McDavid. 
Um, and, and the fact that Mark Shifley's line did a lot of it, there was a lot of talk also kind of heading into this. Could Mark Shifley and his line um, move, uh, you know, into that role of shutting down McDavid, and which freed up Adam Lowry's line to kind of take on uh, the, the role of shutting down Leandre Seidel's line. So, um, you know, the Jets were able to by and large do that. Both players were held off the score sheet. Um, you know, it's one game only, obviously, um, and you need to win four. Uh, the Jets need to now win three, obviously, after winning the first game. But the biggest thing that they need to do um, you know, going forward, and the biggest takeaway from the game was, you know, containing McDavid. And uh, obviously, you know, Dave Tippett and Co. are going to try and, you know, mastermind a plan to to get McDavid, you know, more involved in that sort of thing going forward. And I think, I, I don't know, maybe you, know, you can tell me, I didn't, I didn't feel that McDavid was on the top of his game either as much, you know, last, last night in, in game one either. But, uh, yeah, to, you know, to, to 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 make a long answer a little shorter, uh, I, I think the biggest thing was Shafey's line was able to kind of contain McDavid, and, and it set kind of the tone, you know, for the Jets in that game because they were able to play a defensive game, even though they are their the highest scoring line. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I thought the I mean the referees played a role in it, but just not having a lot of power play opportunities for either team. Obviously, just the one on the game. And the Oilers, in my opinion, they generate just so much momentum from that power play when they can get a lead, a couple goals there tends to spill over to five on five. And without that happening, uh, just wasn't going to work for the Edmonton Oilers. And I thought the Winnipeg Jets did a great job on Connor McDavid, kind of getting in his kitchen. And uh, obviously, there was a little bit of a scrum yeah. with Neil Pionk, a guy who I think Oilers fans are really going to dislike the longer this series goes. <laughs> But uh, personally, yep. I gotta say, I'm a huge fan. I love his game. Uh, Scott, gotta bring up the two injuries as well. Obviously, uh, no Ehlers or Dubois for the Jets in Wednesday night's victory. I mean, you look at that game, uh, you only get 22 shots, uh, you're missing two of your top players. That went about just as well as it could have gone for the Winnipeg Jets. Yes, and you know, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, uh, the Jets had the benefit. I mean, I don't know if the benefit's the right word. Um, but they, they had the opportunity to play without Ehlers down the stretch. It didn't work so well. Um, the Jets had a seven-game losing streak, and they lost nine of the last 12 in the playoffs. But they knew kind of what that formula looked like against other teams without Ehlers. And then obviously losing purely to Bois, um, that, didn't, that didn't obviously help either. But, you know... The Jets, and you look at the analytics, and, and, and if that's you know what, what, what you know some of the listeners you know look into, the Jets got hammered in those last night. But that's kind of what a typical Jets games look like. They don't win the analytics battle very often. They don't win the possession battle. You know that's just not really their mo. Um, what they're able to do is you know kind of weather that storm. They have. Uh, you know, arguably the best goalie in the NHL uh, between the pipes, and, and they're able to take advantage of opportunities. And you know, I, I think with without Ehlers, I mean, they miss a large part of their uh, Ehlers, especially a large part of their offensive output, and 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 just you know, kind of creative playmaking ability. I mean, that's what Nikolai Ehlers is very good. He can he can stretch the ice. He's a, He's the best player when it comes to zone exits and zone entries. Um, so, yeah, it, it's possible he even plays in game two, and that would be a huge boon for the Jets because 
you know, as you saw last night, I mean, it wasn't, you know, from either team, it wasn't really a high-scoring affair, and we've seen that, you know, these are two teams that can run and gun against each other, and obviously that's not the game that either team wants to play. Um, but I, I think Ehlers adds, if he is able to return, adds, a, you know, an, an additional element uh, to the Jets' offense and kind of unlocks part of their offense that's kind of hidden away, you know, behind his injury right now. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, he's, he's a guy that hasn't, you know, played the consistent way that the Jets, you know, Jets fans would have hoped when he was traded for, for Patrick Liney earlier in the season. Um, I think with a guy like, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's difficult coming into a season or coming into a new team during a pandemic season. It's been... It's been hard, and they've tried him at wing. They've tried him at center, obviously, um, the position he played uh, in, in Columbus prior to coming to here. Um, the thing we know about Pierre-Luc Dubois and over the past two years um, in the playoffs is he's been able to um, really kind of ramp up his game during the postseason. Uh, you know, he did it against the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, two years ago when they swept, uh, when the Columbus swept the the, the the Lightning in the first round series, and then he was able to kind of frustrate the, the Toronto Maple Leafs again in last year's playoff bubble. So, you know, obviously they're both, you know, two um, you know pieces that the Jets obviously miss. Uh, at the same time, they've been able to, you know, figure it out. I, I think if both guys, or at least one guy, can, you know, make the return to the lineup uh for game two um you know it, it's all the better for the jets um but right now they've, they, they've figured out a way at least in game one to kind of rally around the fact that they don't have those two players now you said potentially there's a chance that Ehlers could return on friday night now we're taping this on us thursday night six fifteen p.m mountain time do you have any idea uh, like you know if it's if it's not tomorrow for Ehlers, could it be later on in the series i mean is there a timetable for either of those guys yeah, I mean, well, yeah, here's the problem, you know, and I don't know how it is with Dave Tippett uh, when it comes to playoff injuries, but Paul Maurice is, you know, one of, one of the more open um, coaches in terms of what he will say uh, and goes well beyond, you know, what he, he he's probably obligated to say to the media. But when it comes to the playoffs, it, it's, man, like uh, there's misdirection. There's a lot of things, right? He's just not... You're not willing to, to say. Now, here's the thing about what we know about the injury with Ehlers. He's been on the ice. It's been non-contact jersey for the practices. Um, he's been able to, uh, you know, take shots and that sort of thing. It, it was a shoulder injury that he had, right? So um, they're, you know, I'll suspect, I shouldn't say, it's a suspected shoulder injury. They never actually told us, but... We kind of surmise that based on the hit he took uh, when he went out, but um, it, it, it's you know I think the thing for him, um, he, he's closer than Pierre Dubois, but maybe not. It, it, it's hard to get a gauge on it. I mean, Ehlers has always been skating, um, but we don't know what the injury to Pierre Dubois is. Uh, he's he's back on the ice too now, and you know kind of in that same kind of role. So. Uh, you know, just kind of, I don't want to call it a holding pattern. I mean, we just don't know exactly, you know, where each are at. I think if the inside track, you know, the inside edge would be to give it to Ehlers, and he would be 
kind of first, but you know, it's, you know, for Friday's game, it, it, it's entirely possible that both play. It'll just really depend on, you know, honestly, it, it still is a bit of a day by day thing, um, because you know you can still glean things out of practices, and, and the feelers can you know, kind of take those shots. If you can start, you know, winding up the slap shot and stuff like that, um, then, you know, I, I think he'll be ready. I mean, I'm, one of the things that Paul Murray said with Ehlers' injury was the fact that he will be back in the lineup. You know, he'll be healed, essentially, um, exactly uh, when, when he's, like, it, it's not one of these injuries where it's going to linger. He'll be, he, once he's back on the ice, he's healed, and you won't have to worry about that particular injury again. So it, it's tough to say. Uh, I think we'll know more, uh, you know, judged by the morning skate on 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 Friday and, and what the lines look like. But uh, yeah, for now, it's still kind of up in the air, and you know, the sort of the whole kind of playoff mystery. Um, yeah, that's alive and well uh, here in Winnipeg with Paul Murray's. Uh, Scott, I don't know how much of the other NHL games you've watched in these playoffs, but there's been a lot of uh, a lot of <laughs> physicality, people throwing the body, lots of hits. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if the stats are accurate last night, but uh, NHL.com has the Jets with 68 hits, the Oilers with 50. What did you make of the intensity in Game 1, and do you expect it to kind of ramp up here throughout the series? Yeah, I have watched a lot of games, and, and yeah, there, there has been you know physicality and, and that sort of thing. I think the Jets ended up with 68 hits, and I believe the Oilers had somewhere in the in the 50 range um, at the end of that one. I remember we we, we kind of talked to Paul Maurice after the game, and I think Dave Tippett said the same sort of thing after. Um, you know, neither really kind of felt it was a a physical game in the same sense as what you would think or what you would garner from a game that had uh, you know over 100 hits in it combined. Um, uh, Paul Maurice likened it to the fact that you know it, it, the hits are essentially a defensive concept, right? Like you know you're making more hits, and, and the, the hit total looks a nice number, but oftentimes it's because you're you know essentially you're you're it's because you don't have the puck and you're trying to get the puck back. Um, I, I felt you know the Josh Archibald hit was a big hit in terms of you know that. Uh, uh, kind of a more of a message sending type of hit in the series. I thought there was a couple other ones throughout the game. I thought Adam Lowry was was physical in the game, and obviously, and you mentioned it before earlier in in the segment uh, that 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 Neil Pionk was kind of around. I mean, I think Neil Pionk, along with Lowry, led um, the led the Jets with, with in hits. So that's one of those things where. Um, you know, Neil Pionk's not the biggest guy in the room, and he's um, you know still out there trying to really kind of get, as you said, kind of get in, in McDavid's kitchen. So I think that was part of the physicality that that stood out to me. Um, was it a super heavy game or big, you know, you know, massive hits and stuff like that? Not not necessarily, but I, but I think you know both teams kind of did well to to lay the body. And from a judge's perspective, you know, I think making sure that you got. Um, the body on both Dreisaitl and on McDavid was part of the game plan of trying to, you know, slow those guys down and even frustrate them a little bit. And uh, whether or not it was, you know, as physical as, as that, you know, the hit totals at the end of the game showed, I think, you know, for, from a Jets perspective at least, they did kind of what they set out to do 
um, you know, to try and just, you know, make the, the little place just, even if it was just a, you know, a minor hit and that sort of thing, that was kind of, uh, it, it was helpful. I, I think that's part of, you know, the game plan. Uh, that that worked for the Jets. Uh, Scott, just one more question before I let you go here. I got to ask about Connor Hellebuck, obviously winning the Vezina Trophy last year, one of the top goalies in the NHL. The Oilers did get 33 shots on goal on a Wednesday night, only converting on one of them. Uh, what have you made of his play? I mean, down the stretch in the season, and is there realistic hope that this is a guy that can steal you a couple games here, maybe win you a series or two? Yeah, I mean, the argument you could make from last night was he did do that. Um, you know, the thing with Connor Hellbuck is when, and, and it's kind of the weird thing with him, when he's playing at his best, he doesn't look very spectacular. He, he, he He's big and boring, and, that, and that's something that, you know, he, he's talked about himself. That's something in the media that we've written about quite often. Um, when he's playing his best, he's big and boring. And so he had a tough stretch um, heading in, you know, into the playoffs during the Winnipeg seven-game losing streak. He wasn't playing good. Um, but in the last two of his three starts, he posted two shutouts, and, and he got back to that um, positional game. The best thing about Connor Hellbuck's game is he makes, you know, shots that look very dangerous, kind of routine saves. I, I, I hearken back to... I believe it was a Jesse Pogliarvi um, uh, rush down, uh, I want to say, the left side in the first period last night, or on, thir- or on uh, Wednesday night in, in Game 1, um, where, you know, it, that was, it was, looked like a dangerous opportunity, but Connor Hellbuck was just in position right off the bat and made the save that was, it, it just looked like it was nothing. It, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I would suggest that, you know, that kind of rush is the, the type of thing that the Jets don't want to allow on Connor Hellebuck. But he was just on point, you know, whether it was because it was 28th birthday or whatever it was. I think down the stretch, you know, in the last few games, in his last couple of starts, we started to see that Connor Hellebuck again, that Vesna form again. And, and the guy, as you kind of said, alluded to in your question, you know, the guy that can kind of steal a game or two. Um, and you know that's again. This is this is the biggest kind of X factor. I don't even want to say X factor because you know this is what the Jets need. The Jets need Connor Hellebuck to play like he's the Vesna winner. They need Hellebuck um, to do something he hasn't done in the past either, and and that's step up in a in a playoff series and and make his uh, you know presence felt that way. And, and I think he did that uh, uh, in, in game one. Um, I think he is, and he's spoken about this after the last couple of playoff defeats, um, he knows that he needs to be the guy. Uh, and last night he showed, um, in my mind, that he could be that guy. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big plus for the Jets, especially with some of the injuries they have right now. And just some of the defensive woes that they've dealt with for the last, well, this season and in the last couple of seasons now, um, if Connor Hellbuck is playing like that, the Jets are a tough out, uh, even against a team that has a, you know a guy like McDavid or a guy like Drysaddle. Absolutely, the Oilers will look to do it. Uh, we'll try to solve uh, Connor Hellbuck again on Friday if they can. It's a seven o'clock Mountain Time puck drop. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. Uh, always happy to come back. Great stuff from Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Scott Billick. We really appreciate him hopping on the podcast here.
And uh, we taped that, of course, on Thursday night. So I wish we had more updates on the Jets lineup, but you have to keep it locked on TSN 1260 on Friday to see what happens. As the Oilers look to even things up at one game apiece, puck drop 7 o'clock. I'm really pumping out 1260 a lot here. Pre-game coverage on TSN 1260 with myself, Tom Gazzola, and Matt Cassie. And that gets going at 6 o'clock. But hey, you can keep it locked on that station all day long. You're going to have it covered because there's going to be a lot of Oilers and Jets talk throughout the day. Low Tide, JMO, The Morning Show with Nielsen and Eric. Lots of talk on TSN 1260 tomorrow, but that's going to do it for us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Got to thank our guests, Tyler Uremchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation, as well as Scott Billick from the Winnipeg Sun. We'll be back on Tuesday with another edition of the podcast. By then, this series could look a whole lot different. Of course, the two teams do meet on Friday, like I've said a hundred times or so in this podcast, but they'll meet again on Sunday and then Monday. I mean, crazy scenario. There could be a sweep. The Oilers could be done the next time we talk. I'm going to knock on wood so I don't jinx it here, but my goodness, what if that happened? That would be crazy. Let's look on the more optimistic side. The Oilers could be up three games to one at that point. Let's hope for that instead. My name is Connor Halley. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast today. Big thank you to our sponsor, the Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. If you are signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use promo code THPN. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.